Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Welcome to Real Cuff Radio. Tonight's guest, you need to see him live. First of all, he's a songwriter, he's a singer, and he's a great storyteller. And it's so much more fun when you see this guy live. Tonight we'll talk about his testimony, about his background and everything else. But if you can look him up and find out where he's playing or even get your church to bring him in, it would be fantastic because you will enjoy it. I have on the phone tonight, Randy Stonehill. How are you doing, Randy? I'm doing well, Todd. Hey, thank you so much for, uh, for having me on the program. Well, we're really glad to have you. I went and saw you sing at uh, what used to be Keith Green's house. Enjoyed it very much. We'll mention one of your songs at the end that you sang. I've heard that song for quite a while, you know, never knew whose song it was. I got to say this, my daughter loves that song and sings it all the time. So anyway, I guess, do you want to start and, and tell us a little about your testimony and, and how you even got into being a musician and, and singing? Sure. You know, it's wonderful to watch how the Lord dovetails all these elements of life together. I just as a restless kid in the sleepy suburbs of, uh, of San Jose, Northern California, dreaming of playing rock and roll and, and seeing the world. I moved to uh, Los Angeles. I should say I, I fled. <laughs> I fled to Los Angeles just about, uh, gosh, a week after graduating from, from high school uh, to seek me fame and fortune. I'd actually been um, invited to Los Angeles by the late, great Larry Norman, who is really one of the founding voices of what we call contemporary Christian music. He was also from my hometown. He's in a very popular local band. I had some contact with him. Found out that you know the band was recording for Capitol Records in Los Angeles. And I was thinking, my goodness, that's like the mecca of rock and roll. I mean, they distribute the Beatles, you know. But he he befriended me. I'd actually met him uh, just through a casual friendship with uh, one of his sisters, and he said, you know, my sister says that you're very talented. You know, when you when you graduate from high school, why don't you come south? I'll help you. I'll show you the ropes uh, about the music business. So for me, that was just like a revelation moment. It was like my destiny. And I said, yes, this is what I want to do. I went at his kind invitation to Los Angeles, came heart to heart with with Jesus, lover of my soul, the very day I left home. I had what you could only describe as your textbook case lightning bolt experience with the Holy Spirit that very first day uh, in, in Larry Norman's kitchen. I knew that in our growing friendship, Jesus seemed to be a, a very present topic and figure in his life. And I just kind of dismissed that as, you know, religiosity or whatever, tradition. I didn't really know. But... You know, I found out that, uh, indeed, he, uh, he'd been praying for me. He was a very committed believer. He was, uh, he was asking the Lord to grab me by the spiritual scruff of the neck and, and change my life so that uh, 
so that we could start working together. He really felt that that's how God was leading. Like I said, I boy, once the lightning bolt of God's love hit me, uh, I started writing songs. I mean, it changed the trajectory of, of my career and my vision for, you know, who I am and why I do what I do. I thought, man, I, I want to write, I want to play rock and roll, but I want to write about the hope and the life that I've found. So Larry graciously allowed me to, uh, to live and work with him for several months, and I sort of found my feet both spiritually and musically. Let me ask you this. Okay, so you had a background with Keith Green. Yes, sir. Yeah. When did, when uh, did all that come into place? Well, you know, like I said, I became a believer in 1970. Larry and I found ourselves in on the ground floor of this whole new musical, spiritual movement and genre uh, that God was knitting together. And this, Todd, this is back when it was called Contemporary Christian, what are they doing? Can, can they do that? Is that legal? Should we call someone? I mean, it was so new. And that, but we knew that the Lord was up to something to use the music of our generation to speak to our generation. Uh, with his, you know, take his timeless truth and frame it in the musical vernacular of the day. And I met a music publisher in town at some, you know, I just was trying to make contacts and, and get my name around. I met this uh, music publisher named Peter Burke. And Peter said, you know, there's a, there's a really gifted guy named Keith Green. He plays every Wednesday night at a funky little a cool club called the Blah Blah Cafe. You should go see him. I think you guys have similar musical tastes, and I think you might make a, a, a very good songwriting team. So I, I took him up on it. I walked into the Blah Blah Cafe one Wednesday night. My jaw just dropped because there was Keith in this little club sitting on a small stage with an upright piano, and he was so talented and so intense that it was, it was almost taking the, the paint off the walls. He was just like a force of nature. Uh, as he, you know, he, he finished his set, he said, hey, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be back in 15 minutes. You know, try the salad bar. It's great, whatever. Anyway, as he was coming down the stairs, I, I went up to him. I introduced myself. I said, hey, uh, Peter Burke told me that, um, that I should come check you out. He thinks that uh, we'd make a pretty good songwriting team. And Keith didn't even miss a beat. He just looked at me and he said, so what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> and I said, well, I, uh, I guess I'm coming to your house. And he said, good, cool. Okay, here's my address. And I noticed as we were talking that he had this old wooden kind of antique-looking crucifix around his neck. And I thought, hmm, well, that'll be an interesting uh, entree for a conversation about, about Jesus. So anyway, that's, I went to his house the next day. We just hit it off immediately, really enjoyed the musical chemistry. And then when I asked him why he wore the cross, you know, that was, like I said, an open door for conversation about the Lord. And he, and, you know, he was, as many people do, he was sort of trying to be spiritual or, or good enough that, uh, that, that the Lord would, um, you know, would kind of let him slip into heaven. And I said, I said, no, Keith, that's, that's, that's not how that works. You, you know, this is a, this is a spiritual rebirth. So you have to really, you know, lay your life at the foot of the cross 
con- confess your brokenness and your need and repent. You know, the main sin is that uh, without Jesus, we're all playing God ourselves. That's where all the trouble starts. And so he didn't really want to hear about that. He didn't want to hear about repentance. And he said, well, well, I, I believe that Jesus is a good teacher, and I try to follow his teachings. <laughs> and I'm not sure if I actually ever said this, but I, <clears throat> I sure felt like it. I felt like saying, yeah, that must be very frustrating for you, buddy, because, you know, we, we, can't, we can't make ourselves, we can't follow all his teachings. We can't make ourselves holy. It's, it's only his spirit that comes to live within us, that changes us from the inside out. It's Jesus offering his righteousness to, to cover our lives. That's why God accepts us. Uh, that's why it's called being born again. So he and I had a lot of intense conversations, and quite often we just had to agree to disagree. I just realized, you know, I, I can't twist this guy's arm. I can't be the Holy Spirit, but what I can do is try to be a, a good friend and, and a good witness. I didn't realize, so when you met Keith Green, he wasn't walking with Christ. No. I could see his, he, had, he, he, had, he was so hungry. I've never seen anyone so hungry uh, to find out where hope lived than Keith. In 1982, you know, I started hanging around with some friends that were all kind of strange. You know, they, they got me going to church. They, they got me listening to Keith Green. Well, he died right after they got me listening to him. Yeah. And it, it was just like one thing after another, just boom, 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 just crashed. That was my first experience hearing Keith Green, and right after that, you know, that was that was the end. Yeah, but indeed, uh, his, you know, the witness of the testimony of his life lives on through his music. I mean, even to this day, I've met people, a whole new generation, uh, who weren't even born um, before he went home to be with the Lord. And the anointing, the, the wisdom and the anointing of his work is so powerful that it really has, you know, has spoken to, uh, to young hearts. And I will tell you this, you know, after all these conversations with him, sometimes it just felt like we were butting heads. But I knew him well enough to know that he, he would take a dare. He was just kind of young and cocky enough to take a dare. And I was going to a wonderful little Bible study. Uh, which later became actually the first of the Vineyard Church movement. And it was headed up by a great brother named Ken Gullickson. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe Keith and I are too close, and he sees me with my growing pains and my struggles, and, or maybe I'm just not articulating the gospel clearly enough, or, or maybe, maybe God's just using me to plant seeds in his life. But, but if, perhaps if he went to this Bible study where there was someone with more depth, more of a grasp of scripture, maybe that would, that would really tip the scales spiritually. So I, I remember after one heated conversation with him one afternoon, because we get together frequently to write songs or go body surfing at, at uh, Will Rogers State Beach. I remember after one conversation, I, I looked at him, I was kind of exasperated. And I said, I said, Keith, Keith, you know, you have all these questions. You have all these opinions. Man, you know what? I I dare you. Just go to this Bible study where I go on Thursday nights. It's really cool. I think you'll find it compelling and challenging. Um, A lot of other musicians go there. Even Debbie Boone, my my friend Debbie Boone went there. And I said, man, you know what? I I just dare you. I dare you, Mr. Opinion. Go, Go to the Bible study and check it out. 
if you don't like it, you can you can leave. It's not a cult. They're not going to like tie you to a chair and put ice cubes on your feet until you, you know, speak forth a magical incantation or something. But man, I I, I just dare you to go. And he looked at me. He kind of set his jaw and he said, "Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, okay. Wh- where is it? When is it?" And I thought, bingo. So I wrote down the address. I said, "Here, here's the address." It's at 7 p.m. on Thursday nights. Listen, I got to go out of town because I'm doing a bunch of concerts back east. But when I get back, I, I want to hear what you what you thought of the Bible study. He said, "Okay, okay, I'll do it." So I, I came back about a week or two later, and I found out that he had uh, asked Jesus into his life that Thursday night at the Bible study. That's incredible. Okay, so. Billy Graham, did you go to one of his programs, or how did you originally hear Billy Graham? No, no. Of course, I was aware of Billy Graham and his amazing global ministry, you know, for, for many years. What was interesting was his, his ministry, you know, so spiritually focused, they always had their finger on the pulse of, of culture. He got wind of the fact that the Lord was, as, as the Lord has done for many generations. He was using the music of the day to reach, you know, my generation. Backstory here is that uh, I was in a, um, a really funky uh, B-grade uh, science fiction film, five months after becoming a believer. And uh, you know how some films are so bad they're good? This is not one of them. It was just really bad. <laughs> but, but one of the, the secretaries on the set happened to be a Christian, and she heard me singing and playing my guitar. I'd written a song as a brand new believer, really about the heart of the matter, a song called I Love You. She ended up working for Worldwide Films, which is, uh, was working with the Billy Graham organization. They were starting to put together a film for my generation called A Time to Run. So. One day, the phone rang uh, in my funky little apartment uh, in Silver Lake uh, over Mrs. Ortiz's garage, and uh, <laughs> that's where I was living. And uh, but hey, I was like you know eighteen, nineteen. Uh, I was putting a dollar of, uh, of gas a day in my car, you know. But I was just happy. I just was trusting the Lord and you know playing wherever I could. And so the phone rang, and I, I answered it. This voice on the other end of the line said, yeah, this is so-and-so from uh, Worldwide Films. We were working with, uh, with Dr. Graham. Did you, did you write a song called I Love You? And I said, yes, sir. I said, well, we're, we're putting together a film, sort of a youth, you know, a film directed toward youth. We'd like to invite you to be a part of the film, and we'd like to use uh, that song and, uh, and some others for the project. Would, would you pray about that? I said, uh-huh. Who is this really? <laughs> do I owe you money? Because if I do, you're really going to be depressed because I'm, I'm, I'm living over Mrs. Ortiz's garage. Anyway, the guy said, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, start, I'll start again. This is not a joke. My name is you know, Mr. So-and-so. I'm directing this film, uh, and we'd like to invite you to be a part of it. Would you, would you pray about that? And I said, yes, I will. Okay, I'm coming. Sometimes, you know, Todd, sometimes the Lord just speaks in a very uh, quick and demonstrative fashion. And I said, man, this is amazing, you know. So 
I got to be a part of that film, which came out, I think, in 1972. They happened to use my song for the radio uh, advertise the radio commercials. The song ended up being played on every major station all across the country, like almost every hour. So it was just an amazing blessing from from heaven. And I just I just realized that um, uh, the Lord was was kicking open doors uh, for me to to serve Him with with my music. That's I mean that that was my initial contact with the Billy Graham organization. In uh, 2013, my wife and I were watching a, a movie about uh, Billy Graham's life and ministry. And I, I turned to my wife, Leslie, and I said, you know, before this wonderful old saint goes home to glory, man, I would love to just be able to meet him face to face for five minutes, shake his hand, and thank him for his faithfulness. Because, you know, God... That's what God honors, and God has used him in millions of lives. And so we were watching this movie about his life, and I thought I'd love to I'd love to write like a, a tribute song of of, uh, of thanks, just a simple song of thanks about him. And in the movie, I saw that his his nickname was Billy Frank. So William Franklin Graham grew up being called Billy Frank by his uh, his family and his and his friends and when I heard that name I turned to Leslie and I said honey that's it that's the song that's going to be the title of the song so I ended up by God's grace you know the song came tumbling out pretty quickly I think in June of, of 2013 we'd had some contact with one of his daughters with Ruth Graham just a lovely woman of God and one of the first things I did was to send her the lyrics my wife Leslie emailed the lyrics to, to Ruth. To our surprise, she emailed right back, and she said, I'm reading these lyrics with tears in my eyes. You have so wonderfully captured my father's humility and my father's faith journey. Uh, I just want to thank you. So a little while later, we sent her the demo. I just did a simple guitar and voice uh, demo of the song, and I said, listen, Ruth, if you ever are so inclined, you, why don't you just pass this along to your father as a, as a long-distance thank you from one of the you know, many millions of, of souls he's touched. Again, she emailed back a few days later, and she said, I, I have a better idea. Why don't you go and play the song for him yourself? So <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's how this... this uh, this last chapter of, of uh, my relationship with him kept moving. Because indeed, the Lord was so gracious um, and, and allowed my, one of my fondest prayers to come to fruition. Uh, Ruth Graham invited me and Leslie to, to go up to Billy Graham's sweet little mountain home above Montreat, North Carolina. And I will never forget it because it was uh, July 2nd, 2013, and indeed, Billy's health was, was winding down. Ruth's daughter, or one of Ruth's daughters, escorted us up the hill. And she said, listen, um, Daddy Bill, that's what the grandkids call him, said, Daddy Bill, he has his, he has his, his better days and his tougher days. Let, let, me, let me go down the hall and just see how he's doing. He's there with, there's a nurse that attends to him and, and a secretary that helps with, 
all kinds of business things. Let me just let me see how he's how he's doing. Uh, when we arrived at the house, one of the grandkids, see the whole family starts to gather around for a big reunion every 4th of July. So one of the grandchildren came bounding out onto the front porch, and he said, You're here, are you here to see Daddy Bill? And we just smiled and, and nodded, and he, and, she, and he said, well, da- Daddy Bill's taking a nap. And I was thinking to myself, you know, Todd, if anybody has license to take a nap, man, it's that man, you know, because the guy's just poured his life out for the gospel for, for decades. So anyway, again, uh, Ruth's daughter, um, Noelle, said, uh, listen, I'll, I'll go down and see how he's doing. Why don't you and Leslie wait in the kitchen? <laughs> so I'm standing there in Billy Graham's kitchen. I'll just say that one more time, Todd, because it's so surreal. I'm standing there in Billy Graham's kitchen, and I was tuning up my guitar and just asking the Lord just to help me not mess my song up if I get the, got the chance to, to play it, you know. A few minutes later, uh, Noel came back down the hall, and she said, you know what? Uh, Daddy Bill is awake. Uh, he's sitting up in bed. He feels good, and he says he's looking forward to meeting you. So come on down. I thought, wait a minute. We're not meeting in the office. We're not meeting even by the fireplace where they film a lot of the, the TV specials. We're going to the man's bedroom. It was just so it was so precious and, and unexpected. And so we walked down to the bedroom. There he was, big smile on his face, light of the spirit in his eyes. And the first thing he did was to, to uh, hold out his hand. So I, I, you know, I, I got an answer to my prayer. I, got, I shook the man's hand. And he said, I want to thank you very much for coming. Yeah, you know, it's just that voice that you've, that's just been su- such a part of, of Western culture as long as I can remember. And I said, no, sir, let, let me thank you. And I stood at the foot of the man's bed, and I played, I played him this song. Just a Carolina boy who dreamed of playing ball But you turned your heart to heaven when you heard a higher call That priceless pearl can make a man his lesser dreams forsake When the fields are white for harvest and eternity's at stake like to thank you, Billy Frank, for one fine day. But I bet I know just what you'd say. The greatest gift of gratitude is to make my life a song to the Savior you have loved and served so faithfully so long. Though you'd smile up at heaven to remind me who to thank, I'd like to thank you anyway, Billy Frank. Because you made a stand The cry of lost and dying souls Brought you to your knees And the 
power of God flows through a man who lives what he believes. I'd like to thank you, Billy Frank, one fine day. But I bet I know what you'd say. The greatest gift of gratitude is to make my life a song to the Savior you have loved and served so faithfully so long. Though you'd smile up at heaven to remind me who to thank, I'd like to thank you anyway, Billy Frank. You've been the voice of truth to presidents and kings. But you've never been impressed by such things. Nothing is, nothing is more precious in your sight than Jesus Christ, the Savior crucified. And now your flame is flickering as you are nearing home. Pretty soon you'll stand in awe before God's gleaming throne. Well, I have no doubt there'll be a shout as heaven celebrates when St. Peter tells the Father, Billy Graham's at the gates. I'd like to thank you, Billy Frank, one fine day. But I bet I know what you'd say The greatest gift of gratitude Is to make my life a song To the Savior you have loved and served So faithfully, so long Though you'd smile up at heaven To remind me who to thank I'd like to thank you anyway Sir, that's all I've got to say I'd like to thank you anyway, Billy Frank. Billy Frank. You were just a Carolina boy who dreamed of playing ball. I mean, what do you say after that? You know, that's incredible. Yeah, it was a singular experience in my life. And you know, the wonderful thing, too, about him is that he's just so unpretentious. He's just a brother in the Lord, and that makes you just love him and respect him even more. You sense that with him right away. He, he knows that God gave him the gift of evangelism. It's not that he's larger than life. He has just tried to, you know, walk in uh, obedience all these years, and God honored that. Uh, when I met him... So he was 94, and he, he turned 95, you know, that November 2013. And, yeah, it was, it was precious. Oh, and I do have to tell you this, Todd, because this was amazing. We spent about a half an hour with him. He, uh, he autographed uh, his book called Nearing Home for us, and he could barely write because uh, his, you know, his eyesight was very, very poor, but it didn't even matter. He, the man made his mark on, on the book, and it's at this Bless me. So as we were leaving, all of a sudden, my wife Leslie turned back around, went over to the bed, leaned down, and kissed him on the forehead. And he got the sweetest look on his face. He, he was so he was so touched. 
and she just thanked him for his ministry and how it had impacted her, her world. And then as we were walking down the hall toward the front door, I turned to Leslie and I said, Honey, you just kissed Billy Graham. And she said, You know what? I, I couldn't help myself. I, I knew if I didn't do that, I would regret it for the rest of my life. That man has been like the spiritual grandfather to my entire family. My, my aunt took my mother to a crusade in Wisconsin in 1965. They both became believers. They shared the gospel with my grandparents who were running a restaurant and a bar. They got on fire for the Lord and they opened a Christian bookstore which, which just impacted the community and the lives of, of thousands of people. You know, she said, I, I, just, I just love Billy Graham because he loves the Lord and I just, I just wanted to kiss him on the forehead like a daughter, and just thank him. Before you tell the, the last story about uh, Norway, and like I said before, if you have not heard Randy play, you need to see him live. It really makes a big difference. Before you tell the last story, would you pray over this audience and sure. uh, pass a blessing on to him? Sure. Father God, we thank you that you are indeed God Almighty, but you are our loving Heavenly Father. The nail-scarred hands of Jesus prove that once and for all time. And Father, we, we thank you that you don't just tolerate us, you don't just love us from afar, but you seek a father-child relationship with each of us. You don't just come, Lord Jesus, to, uh, you're not just in the salvage and repair business, but you, you come to give us new life, and it's your life that you want to live through us. Holy Spirit, I, I pray even now for all who are listening that you would let them recognize on a heart level the priceless, life-changing miracle and the gift that, that you offer, the gift of yourself. And Father, we thank you that as we listen for your voice and as we read your word, we can see that relationship with you is not, it's not about a magic trick. It's not about standing on our heads and trying to, to be perfect. It really is about coming to you in repentance turning from our sins, basically the sin of playing God ourselves, turning from our sins, taking your hand, walking with you in trust and in obedience. That really is the definition of, of success. Would you, would you quicken that truth unto every, every heart, every mind of those who are, who are listening to this program? Thank you that you are not just a dream of desperate men, but you are indeed the lover of our souls, the savior of the world, and you, you showed how passionate you are about your creation by um, going to the cross in our place uh, because sin brings death, and we all know that we're not holy, so we can't be in heaven, but it's sin that, that brings death. You conquered death and rose again to offer us a new nature, a holy nature, so that we could know communion with you the Holy God. That's why we're here, and it's only communion with you that will ever fulfill our longing. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, if you'd tell us about, now, what is the song called? It's called Shut the Doe. So it's, I mean, it's actually Shut the Door, but I wrote it kind of a la Caribbean folk music. You know, I wrote it like, like a Caribbean. Like Jamaican or something. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and that came naturally to me because as a, as a young uh, kid, my mom and dad were always playing 
all kinds of folk music in the house, both from the States and other cultures. And one of, uh, one of the, my favorites was Harry Belafonte from Jamaica, man. And he, he was the guy, some people might remember, the artist that sang, Deo, Deo, do you like to come and we want to go home? And so, you know, I just, I loved that, that style of music. I was driving down Hollywood Boulevard back in 1982. <laughs> Probably my first mistake right there, Todd. Spooky town. Spooky town. <laughs> but in a, a, I was stopped at a red light, and I was, as I gazed upon the, the weirdness and dysfunction on the opposing sidewalks, my sort of knee-jerk sort of survival response was to uh, uh, hit the power lock on the door. And you would have too, believe me. But anyway, so, so as I did that, I, I uttered this phrase. I went, oh, shut the door, keep out the debris. And I, it made me kind of laugh. And, I, and suffice it to say, it was, a, it was a, a phrase that stuck. And I thought to myself, you know, I could, I could write a, a simple song passing down, kind of a passing down of God's timeless truths from generation to generation and do it in that kind of Caribbean uh, folk style, sort of a pigeon English kind of a thing. So, so shut, shut the door became shut the dough. And the funny thing is, Todd, that I had the, the chorus came pretty quickly. And then after that, I was just stuck. And I remember, I remember I'd be like, you know, I'd be whistling in the shower or something, kinda, and that little chorus would come back to my mind. And uh, I'd think to myself, okay, so what's the verse supposed to be? And I just couldn't quite figure it out. But the, but the chorus idea would just never go away. It, it's interesting how, you know, how God uses, uses anything and everything uh, to, uh, uh, you know, to accomplish his, his will and his way and his own timing. But uh, I'd done a tour of Australia. I got home, just loopy jet lagged, right? The phone is ringing, and I, and against my better judgment, Todd, I picked up the receiver, and it was my manager, and he was saying, um, Randy, um, Kate, listen, I'm sorry, but you, you have to go to Norway. I said, what? I just got back from Australia. I just flew from the bottom of the world. He said, I, I know, man, I'm really sorry. I, I, I must have spilled coffee on the calendar. I, I don't know how this happened, but you got, you got to go. I said, well, what, you can talk, what, I mean, like we have, a, we have a tour at the end of the month? He said, no, sooner. I said, what, something coming up next week? He said, sooner. I said, what have you done? He said, man, I'm sorry, but you have to go right now. In, in, a, in stunned disbelief, I didn't even unpack my suitcase. I just got back in the car. I drove back to the airport. Then, to make matters worse, the plane had mechanical problems. So we're sitting on the runway in Los Angeles, and I'm just loopy jet-legged. I'm just thinking, okay, I'll have a cup of coffee, and you know, I know what I'll do. I'll work on the song lyric for, for Shut Me Do. So I'm working on the lyric, you know. We finally take off. We got to New York, but because of our mechanical problems, I'd missed my transatlantic flight. So then I'm stuck in the New York at LaGuardia Airport. So I'm just drinking more coffee. <laughs> I'm just, and I'm working on this song. And then we're flying across the Atlantic, and I'm drinking more coffee, Todd. And at this point, I'm starting to grind my, my teeth down to little nubs, and I want to play banjo really fast. And you know, Todd, 
I don't play banjo, but it didn't even matter because I figured at that point I could play the banjo. So anyway, but I'm, I'm working on this song. I'm, going, I'm thinking, come on, man, trust the Lord. Don't grumble. Redeem the time. Just, just, just work on this song. So I'm chipping away at the song lyric. We finally, we got to um, Amsterdam. I missed the, my flight from Amsterdam to Oslo. So I'm sitting there and I'm drinking more coffee. <laughs> and I'm just feeling pretty crazy. But at least the song was coming together. So I finally, I got on a plane to Oslo, got there. I came stumbling off the plane, just feeling like Gumby or something. And there's this Norwegian running toward me. He's going, oh, Randy, oh, Randy, oh, Randy. I said, okay, what, 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 what? He goes, okay, we, we must now to be going um, for, to, or the ferry to be crossing the fjords will then no more, uh, the, you, and then the, you will miss the concert and all the sadness. Yeah, the weird thing, Todd, is I, I understood every, everything he said. But I said, okay, okay, wait a minute. Okay, so point is that we were just so late, you know. And uh, he didn't want to miss the last ferry that was going to cross the fjords over to this other area where the, there's this big Norwegian festival. I said, okay, Norway is a relatively small nation, isn't it really? How far is the car ride from here to the ferry? He said, oh, it is four hours. I said, oh, man. Okay, it's four hours. Okay, what, what time is it now? And we look at our watches. It was 5 p.m. I said, okay, it's 5 p.m. Oslo time. When do I play at the festival? He said, oh, you play at 9. So I'm just thinking, oh, man. So we're screaming around these mountain roads in this guy's little car. You know, I've had no sleep, no food to speak of, no shower. I got no, no sanity at this point. We, we, just, we just made it onto the ferry, like just in time, just as they were about to leave. We took the ferry across the fjord. That guy drove me to the festival, and as we pulled up to the back of this huge circus tent, I could hear them on the stage saying, and now, <laughs> that's right, right now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, gospel singer from the U.S. of A., Randy Stonehill. I mean, they, they like had to almost had to use the jaws of a wife, you know, to pull me out of the car. I'm, I'm kind of tuning up my guitar strings, and somebody just got behind me and just pushed me out onto the front of the stage. There I was, standing in front of, it was like I was blinded by a sea of white. All these tow-headed, all these blonde Norwegians, I don't know what, a couple thousand of them. Uh, I, I felt like I had stumbled onto, <laughs> it was like the entire Barbie nation was there, okay? I felt like I'd, I'd stumbled onto, the, you know, I'd stumbled onto her nest. It, look, it's, it's Barbie and the entire Barbie nation. But the good news is that I had, with all that airport time, all that, all that flight time, I was able to finish Shut De Doe. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to try the song out on these people just see how it goes. To my surprise and delight, they all stood up and started singing and clapping with me. So I, just, I was just smiling up at heaven, thinking, now, God, you're just showing off. Thank you very much. God is so good. I know, man. It, just, it goes to show you just reality is richer than fiction, you know? Yeah. I don't want to keep you too long. I want to thank you so much for coming on. 
Hey, yeah, th- thank you, Todd. It's my a privilege and a pleasure. And, and thank you for your kind words about, about my live performance work. You know, there's, uh, this is my 48th year in music ministry, and to this day I still find that there's nothing more invigorating uh, or challenging than those live moments with an audience. I just try to, because you never know what's going to happen, and I just try to give my heart to the Lord, give my heart to the, the people, hope that my heart will be some reflection of, of God's heart. And we always have a, we always have a great time. I, you know, I, I try to embrace a combination of worship and celebration and challenge, and then ask the Lord to breathe on it. All right. Well, I'm going to say that's a wrap. Shut the door, keep on the devil. You shut the door, keep the devil in the night. Shut the door. Keep on the devil Light the candle, everything's alright Light the candle, everything's alright Oh, when I was a baby child Shut-dee-do, keep out the devil Good and bad was just a game Shut-dee-do, keep the devil in the night Many years and many trials Shut-dee-do, keep out the devil They proved to me they're not the same Shut-dee-do, keep the devil in the night Shut the door, keep out the devil. Shut the door, keep the devil in the night. Shut the door, keep out the devil. Light the candle, everything's alright. Light the candle, everything's alright. Oh, Satan is an evil charmer. Shut the door, keep out the devil. He's hungry for a soul to hurt. Shut the door, keep the devil in the night. And without your holy Everything's alright. Light the candle, everything's alright.